It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. I do appreciate it. I also appreciate patrons to the program, such as David and Dan and Joshua and Christian, Stephanie, Casey, Mary, Ted, Elizabeth, Kathleen, Matt, and Jason. Uh, Thank you all for the patronage. I could not do the program without you guys. And you can become a patron as well, and you get exclusive content, uh, access to the live streams. You get the bumper stickers and uh, and the satisfaction of knowing uh, that you are keeping the program going and on the air. Just go to thepetecalendarshow.com. There is a link at the top there of the page, and that takes you to the Patreon account, and um, then you can become a patron. Also, you can subscribe there as well, thepetecalendarshow.com. Alrighty, the U.S. Supreme Court just ruled that the federal eviction moratorium can remain in place. Now, this has a connection here to North Carolina, and I'll get to it in a second. Um, The eviction moratorium. It's kind of a a long and winding path to where we are now and how it got to the Supreme Court. John Sexton writes about it at hotair.com. So first, it was a 5-4 decision. John Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh, two Republican appointments, sided with the left, the liberals, the three liberals on the court, which is always the case. (laughs) It's always the case. How come every single time there is some sort of a 5-4 split, it's always conservatives going with the liberals? You never see... Anyway, I know. I I, I just... It's just... It's so obvious all the time. So the decision is a blow for the National Association of Realtors, the powerful lobbying group that funded the challenge to the pandemic-related moratorium on behalf of two of its chapters. Okay, so that's how this moratorium got all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, the National Association of Realtors, a powerful lobbying group. Notice groups on the left are never described as powerful lobbying groups. It's only (laughs) even though they are, they're never described as that. Landlords have been losing over $13 billion every month under the moratorium. The total effect of the CDC's overreach Maybe up to $200 billion if it remains in effect for a year. That, according to the National Association of Realtors, uh, in its application for Supreme Court uh, intervention. So John Sexton then writes, originally the moratorium was put in place by Congress last year. The moratorium was not renewed. So that was that would have been uh, the Democrat-controlled Congress that Uh, put it in place, but then did not renew it. The moratorium was not renewed, so last August, President Trump asked Health and Human Services Secretary to see what he could do. And in September, the CDC issued its own moratorium, which was set to expire at the end of the year. So you're following this, right? So you've got first Congress does it, Democrats. Then they let it lapse. It wasn't renewed. So then Trump says, hey, Health and Human Services Secretary, what can you do? Then the CDC says, okay, well, we'll issue a moratorium, but it'll expire at the end of the year. At the end of the year, Congress then gets involved again and passes a one-month extension. 
and that just lasts to the end of January. Then the CDC comes back and extends it again through the end of March, and then again through the end of June. And last week, the CDC extended its moratorium for an additional month through the end of July, saying this is the last extension. This is it. Meanwhile, lawsuits had been brought to end the moratorium over the past several months. Three different federal judges ruled that the CDC, again, that stands for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. I don't know why the P is never included, but um, the CDC, uh, it was ruled, has no authority to order an eviction moratorium because, of course, it doesn't. (laughs) Of course, it doesn't. What jurisdiction does the CDC have to tell property owners that they're not allowed to evict non-paying renters? You can argue for or against a moratorium. You can argue, you know, the heartlessness of it, or you can argue that, uh, you know, you're going to put landlords out of business, then you're going to put them into bankruptcy. Like all of those arguments I'm not interested in having at like right now. I'm saying the CDC does not have authority to issue this kind of an order. Because, of course, it doesn't. Like the fact that anybody even needs to sue over what is an obvious overreach of authority, that just shows you how broken our society and our our, uh, views of the role of government have become. It seems that the moratorium survived, though, because Judge Kavanaugh agreed that it could remain in place until the end of July, even though he says that the CDC doesn't have the authority to issue the thing in the first place. This drives me nuts. This is why I refer to to, uh, judges as lawyers in black robes, because he's using motivated reasoning here. He's just trying to get to an outcome that he wants, obviously. And yes, by the way, I do feel kind of uh, suckered, if you will, uh, because of my defense of Brett Kavanaugh, but that was on principle. Right. It doesn't just because I defended the guy on principle from the attacks he was uh, uh, he was targeted with. That does not mean I have to agree with all of his decisions or that I even have to like him. And so far, he's not really making a case for me to like him. (laughs) Uh, But it does actually make a, a good bit of sense. If there was, in fact, remember the rumored deal that got cut that uh, former Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy would retire off the bench if. Trump would uh, nominate Kavanaugh because remember Kavanaugh was not on that original list the the list of the judges from the Federalist Society he wasn't the he wasn't originally on that list and I remember when people were telling me Pete you need to vote for Trump you need to vote for Trump and my argument was I can't trust the guy he's you know he has no political record the stuff he says isn't conservative he hasn't been a conservative um and then they were like, but but the judges, Pete, think of the judges. And that really was the most persuasive argument that almost got me to vote for a major party candidate for the first time in my entire life. It did not end up persuading me, but that was the most persuasive argument was, look, Pete, the judiciary is too important. You got to vote for Trump because Hillary Clinton is going to put, you know, radicals onto the Supreme Court and all of the other uh, all the other courts. And I was. I was receptive to this idea and became even, like I said, almost persuaded to vote for Trump when the Federalist Society came along and said, all right, we're going to take over the process and here are the judges. Here are the, here's the list. And we could see them. 
And now it's like, okay, this makes it a lot more uh, persuasive, a lot more believable that uh, this is not going to be sort of, you know, in Trump world's hands. But what ended up happening, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, yeah, it, look, that's not to say, like, I like, I like Gorsuch seems to be doing fine. Uh, Coney Barrett seems to be fine so far. Not a lot to really go by right now. So I, I don't really have opinions about them. And, and even the case with Kavanaugh, like, this is not like, I, I'm not, I'm not happy with this. And, and because this, it's not even about the ruling. It's about the rationale that he uses to get here. This is my beef. He says that if we just let the CDC have its moratorium extension this one last time, well, you know, it's okay because it's going to allow for a more orderly distribution of the congressionally appropriated rental assistance funds. So, look, they're already in process. It's already underway. So they say this is the last one. So let's just let them, you know, finish it out. Um, But Kavanaugh makes it clear that if they try to extend the moratorium past July 31st, then it's going to need specific congressional authorization. And so people are like, okay, well, he's warning them that that it has to end. Okay, but what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't? What if there's some sort of a, oh, I don't know, like a new strain, a mutation of the virus? I'm going to get to this, too. This Delta variant. What if there's like a new strain and now people are freaking out again and and governments start locking people down again? Then what? CDC turns around and says, hey, we're going to reinstitute this uh, moratorium. We're going to extend it again. Then what? They got to sue again. The National Association of Realtors. Do they have to sue again? Does it go right back to the Supreme Court? What then? This is the problem. John Sexton at HotAir.com, he says, the motivated reasoning you see here from Kavanaugh, you would expect from a liberal judge looking at the preferred outcome rather than the law. He's exactly right. He is exactly right. This is what you call judicial activism. You have an idea of where you want to be, what you want to see, what ruling you want to get, and then you twist language and law in order to arrive at the conclusion you want. And that's what he just did here. So he's telling them, you just stop doing this thing that's apparently illegal, right? That's what the argument is here, that this is not allowed. It is against the law. They do not have this power. They are doing this thing. They are costing people real money, lots of it. And his argument is, well, they said they would stop doing it next month. So, okay, let's just let them finish doing it. And then you don't do it again. That's not law. That's not law. That's not interpreting law. It's a disappointment. It really is. Unlike, for example, Mattress Man. Uh, when Christy and I went and got our mattress from Mattress Man, we're very happy with it. We've had it now for like nine years. It's a memory foam. It's a king size. We love it. It's like sleeping on a marshmallow. Okay. Mattress Man has all sorts of mattresses for all uh, manner of sleep styles. So if you are a back sleeper, a stomach sleeper, a side sleeper, a head sleeper, I don't know who that would be. But uh, look, they've got all the mattresses because people, you know, the way you sleep, is going to determine what mattress best supports that position. And the sleep consultants at Mattress Man, they know this. Also, the July 4th sales going on right now. 
and you can score a free box spring with the purchase of a mattress from the Biltmore Collection. Synchrony Finance offers zero down, zero interest for up to 72 months for qualified applicants. You can go to the website, click on the financing link, and you can actually get pre-approved before you even walk into the store. There are four stores, actually, now that you mention it, uh, in Asheville, Hendersonville, and Arden, locally owned and operated. Experience the difference at Mattress Man mattressmanstores.com buy local and sleep better so north carolina has had an eviction moratorium in place as well uh, although now it is set to expire this from wncn tv North Carolina's evictions moratorium will end July the 1st after Republican members of the Council of State rejected a one-month extension which would have aligned with the national CDC evictions moratorium running through July 31st. So this came about uh, over just a course of a couple of hours, actually, where a press release was sent out by the governor's comms team. Headline, Council of State Members Considering Evictions Moratorium Extension. Council of State Members... Uh, Following the CDC's decision to extend its national evictions moratorium, Governor Cooper asked for the necessary concurrence. The necessary concurrence. Yeah, I'm going to get back to that little phrase in a second. Uh, The necessary concurrence from the Council of State to extend the evictions moratorium order. Council of State members have until uh, 5 p.m. Tuesday, June 29th to consider extending the state evictions moratorium or revoke the protections extended to residential tenants. The CDC has extended its evictions moratorium through July and consistent with the Emergency Management Act, the Council of State has been asked to concur by the end of the day today on an extension of the state moratorium, said Ford Porter, a spokesman for Governor Cooper. So that was how they framed it. They're like, oh, we got to go to Council of State. Need Council of State approval for this thing. Make a big deal about how they go to the Council of State. You know what the Council of State is, right? If you're listening to this program, you probably do. But in case you do not, it is the 10 statewide elected offices. Uh, Governor, Lieutenant Governor, Attorney General, Secretary of State, State Auditor, uh, State Treasurer, commissioners of labor, agriculture, and insurance, as well as the state superintendent of public instruction. Uh, So there are 10 of them, and six of those offices are held by Republicans. Four are held by Democrats. The Emergency Management Act requires the governor to get concurrence or approval when he is issuing these types of emergency declarations for large portions or the entirety of the state. And uh, this has been litigated because Governor Cooper initially, when he locked down the state and closed bars and restaurants, he did not have enough support among the members of the Council of State, including Democrats, by the way, Attorney General Josh Stein, Democrat and um believe it was the uh, state auditor may have been or may uh, well, it may have been Elaine Marshall. I forget. But one of the other Democrats, they, they were not on board with the complete lockdown of bars and restaurants. And so when he realized he wasn't going to get concurrence to lock everything down, he then said he didn't need their approval. And there they went and used this uh, there's a, another law about health and human services and like a, uh, you know, some sort of a, ha- a public hazard 
right? Essentially, like you've got an outbreak of typhoid or something like, okay, we need to shut down this business. But he used it to lock down every business in the state, every restaurant, every bar, and, and to keep them closed for, you know, a year. And this was this uh, the this prompted litigation. It's actually being argued uh, right now that he has this limitless, indefinite power that he was not actually granted in the Emergency Management Act, but they found this loophole and they've been exploiting it. So it's really rich to hear the governor's office talk about, you know, the necessary concurrence from the Council of State. And you know us, we're following the law. We go by the law, spirit and intent. Now, what's going on here is that the National Association of Realtors, among others, have been saying, look, um, you guys got to let these landlords collect their rent. You're going to put people out of business. And despite the use of this hope money, this federal money to pay off the landlords and the utilities, that's not enough. There are a lot of people that are not getting paid. So this needs to end. And by the way, also, it, it needs to end because then it prompts people to go back to work to make money to pay the rent, right? Rather than just get it forgiven for the last six months. Um, these constituencies that are arguing for the moratorium to end are not strictly Republican constituencies. And this is kind of jammed up Democrats like Cooper. And so he needs a foil. He needs a bad guy. And Republicans fit the bill. They will serve quite nicely. And so now he makes a big deal, takes it to the Republicans and the Democrats on the Council of State. All the Democrats vote to keep the moratorium in place for one more month. And the Republicans say no. And then he immediately issues a press release headlined Republican Council of State members revoke state evictions protections effective July 1. The Republicans are going to throw you out on the street. The state evictions moratorium will end July 1 after Republican members of the Council of State rejected a one-month extension, which would have aligned with the national CDC evictions moratorium through July 31st. Wait, 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 wait a minute. So the CDC, which, remember, Justice Kavanaugh said, did not have the authority to issue this moratorium, but is still going to be in effect through the end of July. Um, that's still in effect. Well, yes, it is. So what exactly did the Republicans vote to oppose here well you got to go into the uh the makeup of the the state order and how it tracks with the cdc so state evictions under the order at the state level not the cdc but it had aligned itself with the cdc order and it implemented at the state level notification requirements that's that was the big deal. Notification requirements for the landlords before they could initiate a residential eviction action. So the state order required landlords had to provide their tenants with a copy of the declaration form that they're required to fill out to receive protections under the CDC order. So the state order said, hey, landlord, you got to tell your tenant that uh, they... Uh, that there's a program for them, and um, here's the declaration form that you have to give to them. That was the state order. So by breaking away from the CDC moratorium, it's not actually going to lead to people getting evicted 
unless somehow they don't go through the steps to prevent their own evictions. Because the moratorium still is in effect. Thank you, Brett Kavanaugh. But the notifications, now the landlord isn't required to do your homework for you to give you the form <laughs> that says, so you can fill it out and take advantage of the program. See, so Republicans aren't actually scrapping a program. They're not scrapping a moratorium. Because the state order was a notification, essentially, it was a notification order. The WNCN report on this says that without this requirement, many North Carolinians may be unaware of the protections available to them under the federal evictions moratorium and evicted unnecessarily. So it's a, right, so this is a notification deal. So they're not told and, oh, those evil Republicans don't want people to know that this federal program exists, which, by the way, has existed for almost a year now. And shouldn't they be aware that it exists already? And if they haven't been able to make their rent before, right, they probably would have been enrolled in the program. They probably would have taken advantage of it. And so then they would just kind of say, hey, one more round. Yes, for July, let's do it again. Like set us back up for another round. I I fail to see how this is such a big deal. But again, if you're looking for a way out and you're looking to pin it on your political opponents, this makes all the sense in the world, which is exactly how the governor played it, because he is a partisan animal. Um, look, like the naked political and cynical strategy being used here is so obvious. It really is impressive in its utter lack of shame. Really, this is what a governor and a communications team does when they are totally confident that they're not going to get any kind of criticism. They're not going to suffer any repercussions because Cooper is the hero. He is the hero in these tales that are being told by our Raleigh Capital storytellers. So his action here is going to be separate. It's going to be cut away and cleaved from any kind of political calculus. This is all about doing what's best for the people. There's no political machinations going on here. He's the white knight. He's the savior. He's the good guy in our story. Not those evil Republicans. They're evil. They're bad. They want to evict everybody. Now, here's a good way not to get evicted uh, from uh, by your landlord. It's to own your own home. Call Rowena Patton. Buying or selling, one number, 828-333-4483. The website is mountainhomehunt.com. Give her a call. And she's got homes in all price points. She has buyers already lined up. If you're trying to sell, got a friend who's uh, just moved back into town and uh, they went into the market. They were looking for a house and uh, I was watching him. He was posting on Facebook and at first it was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is like the crazy real estate market. It's insane. And then like within a day or two, he's like, we got our house. That And he was working with Rowena Patton. Like that's what you get when you work with the all-star powerhouse team. Give them a call. 828-333-4483 mountainhomehunt.com and then start packing. So one of the uh, statements from the Council of State members after the vote came from Dale Falwell, Republican who voted against the extension. He said, look, originally issued back in October of 2020 and most recently extended in March of this year, he said the moratorium on evictions was set to expire June 30th. It is based on a CDC national moratorium issued last fall. Even though Treasurer Falwell supported the original order, he did not support the three extensions and recently asked the governor to let the executive order expire at the end of the month. Right. So this idea that, oh, my gosh, look at this. Nobody was ready for this. 
This order was set to expire. Everybody knew this order was set to expire. This would have been a re-up. This was not a guaranteed thing, first of all. And the CDC order is still in effect. All the like the practical difference here is um, that a landlord no longer is required to go to the tenant and say, here's the form you need to fill out if you can't afford this month's rent. That's it. That's the practical difference. People who are still eligible, that were eligible, they can still take advantage of the program. Now, the concern here is that Governor Cooper is going to lock us back down, going to implement, uh, you know, different types of executive orders uh, because he still hasn't lifted the declaration of emergency and uh, which he did not get the concurrence of the Council of State to keep doing these orders over the course of the last year plus. And um, I mean, New York has now lifted its state of emergency. We are like one of the last states in America at this point. And And the concern that I have and a lot of others have is that Cooper is going to hold on to this until the next flu season starts. And then he's going to use his executive powers that he has already, I would submit, unconstitutionally assumed. He's going to use them to bring us back to the last year of lockdown orders and stuff. And look, I've been, I think, pretty accommodating up until this point. But at that point... If he does this again and he tries to drag us back to like these failed policies and orders that he was doing before. Yeah, I'm like, I'm 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 disobeying. I'm done. I'm done listening to this guy um, on this stuff. He he has he he does not inspire any confidence. And the more uh, the legislature keeps running different bills and the more he keeps vetoing them, uh, the more radicalized I think I and others are becoming. For example, the latest now is the uh, what do they call this? The Free the Smiles Act, (laughs) which (laughs) uh, I'm generally not a fan of bill names. I'm just not. I I tend to appreciate a good acronym. I do. I tend to. I mean, even if I don't like the bill, I can appreciate a good acronym like the Patriot Act. I can appreciate (laughs) a good acronym Um, or even though I don't like anything in it, the CARES Act. Right. I appreciate that. Uh, Good. Good acronym for what you're trying to do. Uh, The Free the Smiles Act, or as I like to call it, the FSA. Uh, no, I don't actually. It's House or uh, sorry, Senate Bill 173. The bill would require school boards to define their masking policies by August 1st. Here is Representative David Willis. He's a Republican out of Union County. He says the bill uh, is about essentially local control. Based on the information that we've had from this past school year and the data that continues to come in points to the fact that it's time to give our students the opportunity and the parents a choice to remove the masks for the upcoming school year. Data that we've seen in a recent New York Times article referenced that the biggest risk to our child's health today is not COVID-19, rather activities that we long held as safe for our children, such as riding a bicycle, swimming, or riding in a car. In another article in the Washington Post, researchers and doctors noted that it's time for our kids to get back to normal. As, and I quote on this from, from the research, as COVID-19 cases continue to fall and vaccines demonstrate vigor against even the most concerning variants, it's time to evaluate which pandemic restrictions are worth keeping in place. 
Here's a simple recommendation. Children should return to their normal lives this summer and in the upcoming school year without masks and regardless of vaccination status. The study also says studies approximate that 40% of pediatric COVID-19 admissions to the hospitals were misclassified. The data is clear. The harm that we're doing to our children from a mental health perspective is overwhelming. The Children's Hospital in Colorado has declared a state of emergency for mental health for our children. We have data on what the vaccines uh, are doing in terms of the plummeting numbers of cases across the state and across the country. What we don't know is the irreparable harm that we're doing from a mental health perspective to our children. It's time to give them the opportunity to take off the masks, to return to class as normal, and to get into a position to where they can start to rebuild the confidence and the camaraderie that they've had with their friends, with their classmates, and with their teachers, uh, and to rebuild those relationships, to overcome the obstacles that we have put on them over the past year. This is one of the things, one of the aspects that is never discussed in any of these press briefings that the governor has had over the last year is the other side of the ledger. If you're going to claim credit for all the lives you saved with your mask mandate without any evidence, if you're going to claim credit for that, somebody needs to ask about the other side of the ledger. What about the harms? Where are those numbers? And at some point, do you think your policies might have led to more harm than benefit? This bill, this Free the Smiles Act, would require school boards to define masking policies by August 1st, gives the the local school boards the control here, the authority. And if they don't adopt a policy by August 1st, then students would not be required to wear a mask. That's the that, that's the proposal. If a masking policy has been adopted by that deadline, then the policy uh, is in place, but it has to be reconsidered for a vote every month afterwards. So every month, the school board has to re-up that masking policy. This is actually accountability, by the way. This is accountability. This is this is saying, school board, you asked to be in charge here. Well, here you go. Local control, you decide if this is what right for you. And if you decide to mask all the kids and the public is supportive of that, then you'll have no problem re-upping that every month. This is a constant check. It's like term limits, if you will, on the masking policy. House Speaker Tim Moore said, quote, North Carolina students deserve a safe learning environment in which they can thrive. But what works for one school district may not work well for another. One size fits all mandates are not the answer. Local school boards with input from parents and teachers are best suited to determine what works best for their own students. And I think it's funny that now you've got Democrats out there who are arguing against local control, the thing that they've been arguing for ever since Republicans took control. And by the way, I've been around long enough to know that these arguments flip. The arguments flip depending on who controls the state legislature. <laughs> when Same thing with gerrymandering in the redistricting process. Dem, uh, Dem, when Democrats were in charge, they gerrymandered the bejeebus out of this state. And Republicans sued them, took them to court all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court multiple times, Governor Roy Cooper being one of the uh, defendants. And, uh, and the Republicans were like, we need you know independent redistricting. 
Then they took over. They got control of the process. And now the Democrats are the ones clamoring for an independent redistricting process. And they're the ones filing all of the lawsuits. Same thing uh, with this, with local control. When it suits a particular party to get what they want, it seems like they're totally happy to make the local control argument and totally happy to ignore the local control argument. But local control, see, here's the thing. Democrats use this argument because they think it appeals to conservatives, and generally it does. But local control is not the superior principle. It is not the overarching principle that all things must abide. I'm not sure if Democrats understand this about conservatives, that local control is preferable, yes, but it doesn't uh, subvert or subsume all others. For example, rule of law, Justice Kavanaugh's rulings notwithstanding, but rule of law is the primary principle there. If, If a local jurisdiction is doing something that is clearly unconstitutional, The conservative position is not to say, well, you know, it's local control. No, it's rule of law. You don't get to do that. The law says you can't do that. It's unconstitutional. So stop doing it. That's that's how that works. The hierarchy of of uh, principles there. So this free the smiles act. Susan Fitcher, Democrat from uh, Buncombe County, uh, she opposes it. And uh, we'll listen to her in a second. First, listen to this general equipment rental. Uh, They are your source for equipment rental, power tool rental or purchasing needs. Okay, so if you're looking to do a massive project at your house, maybe you're a general contractor and you need a specific tool. And let's say it's a pretty big one, right? Like like it's a big piece of machinery. Uh, Maybe it's a tiller. You want to put in a garden. Uh, Maybe it's some scaffolding. You know, you want to pressure wash. Maybe you want to pressure wash. All of these pieces of equipment are available at General Equipment Rental. They also have tools for outdoor power equipment for uh, for purchase, like chainsaws and trimmers and hedge clippers. They've got gas-powered items as well as the battery-powered version. Um, And look, people have different needs on this stuff. If you have a small piece of property, you probably get by with, you know, a battery-operated uh, weed eater. That's what I use. I prefer them. I don't want the cord. I don't like the corded ones. I had, <clears throat> I think it was a hedge clipper years ago, and I was not a fan um, of the the corded stuff. Uh, and that's usually why people go for the gas powered stuff. It's you know they, you got the power and the versatility. You can go anywhere and that sort of thing. I just hate doing the mixing. But more than that, of the oil and the gas and all that, I hate doing that. But I also really hate going to the going to the gas station to get, you know, the one gallon of gas <laughs> to fill up and then bring back home. I always hate doing that. You know, the car smells like gas. I just, I'm, I'm not a fan. So where I can, I get the battery stuff. And that's what I got from General Equipment Rental. I got a weed whacker uh, at General Equipment Rental during one of their sales over the summer. And uh, you can, or uh, spring rather, you can as well get 10% off your first rental. Go to the website, General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, generalrents.com, and think outside your toolbox. Uh, so here is Susan Fisher, Democrat from Buncombe County. She opposes the Free the Smiles Act because she's afraid school boards would not order masking. So she's afraid that school boards will exercise local control and that local control will lead to a decision that she doesn't agree with. (laughs) And so that's why she's opposing it. Well, I mean, she's opposing it because they wouldn't order the masking. And if things get worse, then, you know, people are going to die. Of course, we're concerned about the mental health of our students. But this is a pandemic that occurred in uh, the last, what, 100 years or maybe a little bit less 
We hope that we don't see another one. But in the meantime, we need to protect our students from illness. And if we are concerned about mental health, we need to supply our schools with counselors, school nurses, and all of the other things that go with that in order to keep our children healthy. We are hearing now about a variant of COVID <gasps> oh. that is beginning to oh. harm younger people. <laughs> I have to say that if we as a state are not doing all that we can to protect the health of our children, we are failing. I appreciate the determination on the part of those who would like to circumvent or shortchange or whatever the governor's orders. But what I have seen throughout this whole pandemic is a governor who is working with DHHS, with the school boards, with the Department of Public Instruction, with all of the concerned people about keeping our children safe. No. And so I cannot in good conscience circumvent my governor my democratic governor another emergency oh. this fall right so there you go laying the groundwork things are going to get worse oh we got a new variant they got a new variant first off i need to point this out <clears throat> the likelihood of a mutated virus of a variant of the coronavirus was 100 percent. 100 percent. this is what viruses do they mutate they all do if you look, I mean, seriously, like, I'm not a virologist, but you can just type in a couple of words into the interweb and you will find out that this is what viruses do. They mutate because they're trying to survive. And especially if you come up with, you know, vaccines against them and stuff, uh, they're mutating to try to avoid that. They're trying to find hosts. Also, generally what happens with uh, viruses is that they become uh, more contagious, they become more contagious, but they become less lethal. Usually, not always, but usually. This is what tends to happen with viruses. Because, again, less lethality means they're able to spread into more hosts. Same thing with the increase in contagiousness. But we are now being conditioned to accept the Delta variant as like some super virus now. Like, this thing is even worse! I'm not so sure it is. Um, I'll get to that in a second. But Susan Fisher's argument here is based on some assumptions, don't you think? Like that Governor Cooper's done such a bang-up job consulting in all of the necess- uh, consulting all of the necessary people, like his DHHS. So his administration. So you're giving him credit for talking with his administration, <laughs> with his own people. That's awesome. Uh, this is the governor who, in a year of pandemic press release, uh, press conferences, rather, has never brought forth all of the people, his advisory task force, whoever it is that is that he's using to make all of these decisions. He's never brought them out for questioning. He's never introduced them to us. We don't know who these people are. Every now and again, you may encounter a story where a name gets referenced, like, oh, yeah, the governor asked me about some stuff. And that's it. That's it. We don't know who's been influencing his policy. He keeps saying it's science and data and the CDC guidelines. That's what we keep hearing. And then after Joe Biden won, then we hear that he's on a, what, a weekly call with other governors that then uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they stopped doing. And so they turned it over to Chris Cuomo because that's the guy you need leading the coronavirus response. I mean, he wrote a book about it. So, yeah, he's the guy you want in charge of saving people's lives 
in the COVID pandemic. Yeah. Governor Cooper's ongoing state of emergency order requires students to wear masks in schools at least through the end of July. The House voted for this measure, this Free the Smiles Act, by a 66 to 44 vote margin. Three Democrats actually joined in with the Republicans. The bill will head back to the Senate for a final vote. Um, Not sure if Democrats will... um, will continue to sign on to this uh, if it gets a veto, which I assume it will. By the way, I assume every bill that goes to Governor Cooper is going to get vetoed. I, I do. I just assume that. doesn't mean it's a realistic assumption. Some bills are just technical changes and he signs those into law. But generally speaking, I assume he's going to veto everything because that's the kind of guy <laughs> he has shown himself to be. He is, He's approaching like 60 vetoes, I think, so far, and uh, he's vetoed more bills than every single other governor in North Carolina history combined. Okay, that's the kind of governor he is. Now, Democrats will say he's blocking terrible policy. He's blocking terrible laws. Fine, whatever excuse you want to give, it doesn't matter to me. But it's why I assume he's going to veto every single thing that comes across his desk, except maybe this, a recommendation to go to Old Grouch's military surplus. He may not veto that. You shouldn't. I know that. Uh, Old Grouch's military surplus is your source for real U.S. military surplus. If you are on your way, uh, maybe through town, Maggie Valley, going to Cherokee, Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, or around Asheville, um, it is so easy to swing on by. Uh, Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It's on Main Street. It's exit 27 off I-40. Exit 27 off I-40. Super easy to get to. And uh, while you're there, check out the other shops downtown. There's a boutique uh, gift and clothing shop right next door as well. Uh, He's got tons of real U.S. military surplus MREs. He's got... uh, Uh, backpacks and ponchos and ammo cans and gun accessories go check out his inventory in person or online at oldgrouch.com for more than three decades old grouch's military surplus in downtown clyde across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and of course at oldgrouch.com so you heard it right there in uh representative susan fisher's comments like, oh my gosh, what about the Delta variant? It's it's making its way across the globe now. We may need to lock everything down again. We may need to mask everybody. Right, the Delta variant. What you know why it's called the Delta variant? This is the they called it the Indian or the India variant, and then it was like, oh my gosh, that's racist. So um They decided now they're going to go with a new nomenclature. Apparently, this was decided by the CDC earlier this month. They said, you know what? Uh, From now on, to be less, you know, systemically, institutionally racist, so as to not name uh, viruses after the areas in which they are first detected and discovered, uh, we are no longer going to do that. We're going to uh, name them just based off of the Greek alphabet, because we don't want to you know, uh, I don't know, pinpoint any specific, you know, geographical area for condemnation or bigotry. So instead of naming the viruses after the places that they are discovered, we're going to name them after the Greek alphabet. No word on what the Greeks think about all of that at this point. Yeah. Um, So this is the Delta variant. And 
I came across this tweet from uh, a couple tweets, actually, from Will Doran. He is a reporter at the News and Observer. And uh, he says, remember last weekend, the uh, the baseball team, the NC State baseball team, they got booted out of the College World Series because they had a bunch of their players test positive after a couple of them came down. They were unvaccinated, so they were getting tested. And the NCAA had all these rules about who all could be tested. I mean, not people in the stands. I mean, the, the, there were 20,000 people in the ballpark watching the games and such. But the players, they all had to be uh, tested like all the time and a couple of NC State players refused to get the vaccinations and so they were being tested and then oop, they tested positive and then the opponent uh, Vanderbilt University they were like well we want everybody tested so then they went and tested all of the players and they found even more players tested positive including ones that had been vaccinated and so they're vaccinated but they test positive that prompts the NCAA to boot the entire NC State team from the tournament and give the win to Vanderbilt outrage ensues uh, except of course among the left they're like well they should have been vaccinated serves them right uh, you know, look I can understand that argument I think it's crap but I understand the argument because the uh, you know if you're trying to protect people from getting sick then uh, yeah you should require the vaccinations and if you don't then like that's one way to go but they didn't go that way they didn't And so they let people play without the vaccinations. And then they turned around and kicked an entire team out of the tournament after they tested them. Well, some of those kids, a lot of them, had the vaccine, so they actually did follow your rules. But more than that, shouldn't you also be testing the Vanderbilt players, the opposing team? Because they would get it too if they're vaccinated and the NC State players were vaccinated and they got this new variant, then wouldn't you have to kick Vanderbilt out? Yeah, but see, that would jeopardize the NCAA's revenue stream, so they didn't want to do that, I assume. Anyway, all of that uh, is the backdrop for these tweets by Will Duran. He says, I was wondering about the claim that four vaccinated NC State players tested positive since that seemed highly unlikely. Well, it turns out they have a new strain of COVID, which has mutated and spread because, guess what? People have refused to get vaccinated. If more people had acted responsibly, following safety guidelines, and then getting vaccinated, there would have been much less room in the first place for new mutations of COVID to evolve to the point it can more easily defeat the vaccines that we do have. So there he is blaming people for not getting the vaccines as the reason why the NC State team got disqualified and the rise of this variant. Um, So I guess uh, that's kind of racisty, right? That's the idea here. Isn't that how everything gets distilled now? Uh, I guess Will Duran is a racist because this is the Indian variant, after all, and the Indians did not do such a great job of vaccinating their people. So therefore, any criticism of a uh, uh, minority community, even though there's like a billion plus of them, um, that that now becomes a racist attack. That's I don't make these rules, people. I do not make the rules, but I'm happy to enforce them. <laughs> I'm happy to enforce them on uh, well, select targets. Okay, but that makes me no better than the left. Um, I I told Will Duran on Twitter that this is a virus. It's going to act like a virus unless of course you are interested in quarantining every last human being on the planet in isolation all at the same time for you know 30 to 60 days there is no way to prevent the spread of a virus like that it's too transmissible 
It's aerosolized. There isn't anything that can be done about it. And blaming people, particularly Indians, for not having the vaccines, I think is uh, it's not helpful. It really. But I understand why he's doing it. He's trying to shame people into getting the vaccines. That's the point here. And you're going to see a lot more of this. And by the way, people who haven't gotten vaccines, I don't beat up on them. For I mean, you made your choice. You're afraid of whatever the side effects are of getting the vaccine. You're going to take your uh, risks. You're going to run your luck on the uh, uh, not getting you know killed by COVID. Fine. You're making a different risk assessment than I did. I don't care. It's fine. Do what you want to do. Uh, that being said, however, uh, I do want to hear I, I, or I, I want to I don't want to hear after an extended period of time of the vaccines being utilized. Um, I don't want to hear that. Uh, well, you know, these are brand new and untested, like because we're actually doing the test right now. I'm a part of it. I'm a test subject myself. And so at some point, uh, that argument needs to kind of get dropped from the portfolio. Um, and also for folks who have been like, well, it's not FDA approved. And I agree. It's not. It's emergency use authorization. FDA did not uh, approve it. Um but uh, at some point, the FDA probably will approve it. And at that point, I don't want to hear any longer that it's, well, FDA approved, although I suspect that the uh, argument will then shift, right? It'll shift to, well, um, you know, they just approved it because fill in the blank. It'll be corrupted or something like that. So the goalposts will get moved. So all I ask in this, you know, in this arena is a little bit of uh, consistency, intellectual honesty when it comes to the debate over to vaccinate or not to vaccinate. Now, on the uh, the Delta variant on this front, the Miami Herald had a story. Do the vaccinated need masks as Delta variant spreads? I'm going to get to that in a second. First, you need to get on over to BalkanRoofing.com, B-A-L-K-E-N Roofing.com, and you need to go there, particularly if you uh, need a new roof. <laughs> I mean, obviously so. But even if you're not sure, if you're not sure that your roof is in terrible shape, maybe you have some suspicions that it might not be looking so great. Maybe you see some uh, shingles that are like out of alignment because that's a big problem uh more than hail in western north carolina like uh hail is not really that big of a deal i learned this from the folks at uh, balkan roofing it's straight line winds because the winds come through the mountains and at such speed uh th- and direction that they get underneath the shingles and they lift them up and, and they be they become like flaps basically and as that happens uh it it loosens the nails that hold the shingles in place uh and so they'll come out they'll take a look at your roof free estimate no you know no high pressure sales or anything but if you do need a roof they can get you a roof for like 69 dollars a month and they'll just do the repairs too if you just have some repairs that need to be done now keep in mind and this is where a lot of people kind of get upset is they go and they they hire some you know chuck in a truck that shows up does some repair work quote unquote doesn't actually repair the damage or fix the problem then you got to call balkan anyway they come out and you're never going to be able to match an older roof color with a new roof shingle patch so keep that in mind when you're going with these you know cheap guys that show up you're gonna yeah they're gonna put a really cheap product up on your roof that protects your entire house now, if you want to do that, you go right ahead and do that. But you're going to need this number anyway, because they're going to you're going to have to call them to come out and repair the the work from Chuck. OK, so here's the number six, two, eight, zero, three, ninety, six, two, eight, zero, three, ninety Balkan roofing dot com. That's B-A-L-K-E-N roofing dot com. And give them a call. Tell them you heard it here on the show. I appreciate it again. Six, two, eight, zero, three, ninety Balkan roofing dot com. 
So the Miami Herald reports the COVID vaccines will never be perfect. Fully vaccinated people can still get infected, though they're much less likely to be hospitalized or to die from the disease. Yet the Delta coronavirus variant, first discovered in India, <gasps> racist, has some experts concerned. The World Health Organization su uh, suggested that fully vaccinated people still wear face masks whenever possible. And <laughs> it's not happening. It's not happening. Citing the Delta variants, increased transmissibility and risk of serious COVID-19 across the globe. World Health uh, Organization Assistant Director General Dr. Marangiela Samao, whatever. Anyway, she says people need to continue to use masks consistently. Be in ventilated spaces, hand hygiene, respiratory etiquette, the physical distance, avoid crowding. Um, the CDC has yet to publicly respond to the World Health Organization's advice. I suspect they will follow it, though. The L.A. County Department of Public Health, they recommended that residents wear masks while in public indoor spaces, regardless of vaccination status. It's, uh, they're apparently the first local uh, jurisdiction to issue this kind of a precaution over the Delta variant. A study from Public Health England found that three, we three weeks after one dose, the Pfizer vaccine was 33% effective against the Delta variant. Two weeks after the second dose, um, was it was 88% effective. And there was uh, some research on the Moderna vaccine, and it appears effective against the Delta variant as well. There isn't any published data on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, however. The most recent evidence shows it's a, that the Delta variant is about 60% more contagious than the Alpha variant. And uh, Nevada and Missouri are the variant's current epicenters, uh, causing a rise in cases and hospitalizations there. Now, I went and looked up uh, some of the research on the lethality of this, because, you know, you got to sift through the panic porn. India has about a seventh of the death rate of the U.S. per capita. It's getting its wave now, basically. It just got it later than America. And the UK government apparently pegged the case fatality rate for the Delta variant at 0.1 to 0.2. And by comparison, the first version of COVID was a 1.9. And the beta version was 1.4. So it appears the Delta variant is way less lethal if more contagious. That is a wrap for the episode. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. Remember, subscribe at thepetecalendarshow.com. I'll talk with you later and uh, don't break anything while I'm gone.